I'm a senior, so it's going to take me time to set up. I know when to play on being a senior and when not to, but... So praise the Lord. Shall we just stand? I'd like to ask the Lord to be with us this evening and uh, to help me to minister the word tonight. Lord Heavenly Father, you are great and greatly to be praised, God. What a wonderful privilege it is, Lord, for us to be gathered in your house and in your name, Lord. A place where we can worship you uninhibited, Lord. A place, beloved God, when we can reach out to you, almighty God, and you can touch our lives so deeply, Lord. We come to you with thanksgiving and praise in our hearts, Lord. I need you, beloved God, to help me minister your word tonight, Lord, and I ask you to please anoint me. Please speak to our hearts, I pray, and help me, God, to deliver this word, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. And just to uh, get the scripture, if you'd like to turn to Judges chapter 13 and verse 16. Could I have that first um, slide, please? Is it working? We've already appreciated you, Brother Thomas, and we still do. (laughs) Amen. I've I've, I've titled this message tonight, Learning to Lean on Jesus. When we walk with the Lord, it is a, it is an experience, amen, and it doesn't, it doesn't just happen. We got to participate in everything that the Lord is giving to us. We need to participate with the Lord. We need to participate (coughs) in the, um, activities, the prayers, the getting together that God gives to us that we can grow and grow in Him and learn to lean more and more on Him. And it takes a long time. It's nothing that just happens immediately. It takes time, and we need to be prepared to go along that journey and walk deeper and deeper and find more and more out about the Lord, understand more about how much He loves us, understand more about how much He gave that we could have salvation, understand how much it cost Him that we could have the salvation and walk in the truth and walk in light. Amen. So um, I'm talking about Samson Yeah, you can see from that picture, and it says that I find one of the most difficult passages in the Bible to read is that of Samson. I squirm, I hold my breath, I get tense, I get frustrated, I feel helpless, and I even feel angry. And it's all very tragic, but this account is a very good illustration to to us of the pull of human nature in the life of Samson, and likewise, we all have a struggle with the pull of nature in our own lives. The detailed account of Samuel, Samson, I beg your pardon, is found in the book of Judges, chapters 13 to 16. And verse 1 of chapter 13, which we have there, is, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. The period of Judges begins after the death of their leader Joshua. Joshua followed on in the leadership after Moses, 
And he led the Israelites from the wilderness across the Jordan River and into the promised land. They did not just paddle and wade across the River Jordan. No, it was much more dramatic than that. Joshua had a method to cross over to possess the land promised to them by God. He assembled everyone a good distance behind the Ark of the Covenant. The Jordan River was swollen at that time. It was treacherous and it was overflowing its banks. The Levite priests went ahead carrying the Ark of the Covenant. As soon as the priests waded in with the Ark, the water stopped flowing and piled up in a heap. The priests waited with the Ark in the middle of the river and remained there until the entire nation had crossed over on dry ground. The Lord commanded Joshua to have 12 men, one from each of the tribes, to pick up a stone from the center of the riverbed. And when they were all crossed over, Joshua took the 12 stones and stacked them as a memorial. This was a period of time when Israel was without a king by choice. Saul was yet, Saul was yet to be... installed as the king and at this time God empowered and gave their people judges to lead them when we read of the wonderful crossing of the uh, across the Jordan River it's surprising to read that they did not hearken unto the judges it seems that this was a very dark period in the history of Israel the more miracles they saw these great wonderful miracles and yet they didn't hearken and yet they they still disobeyed and yet they still did uh, what they wanted to do rather than listen to the Lord and do things God's way. They didn't hearken unto their judges and so they would find themselves in trouble. And then in order to get out of trouble, they would cry out to the Lord. And the Bible says, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. In the book of Judges, which is only 21 chapters long, Three times he's mentioned that Israel had no king. Seven times he's mentioned that the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Twice they forsook the Lord. And twice it is stated that in those days there was no king of Israel. And every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And because of this, God delivered the children of Israel unto the Philistines for 40 years. But at the time he raised up Samson who was to deliver the children, to begin to deliver the children of Israel out of uh, the problems with the Philistines. So Samson's life and birth was a miracle because his mother was barren. But the angel of the Lord appeared unto her to tell her that she would have a son and he was to be a Nazarite unto God from his birth to the day of his death. This means that Samson is sanctified and set apart for a special calling. And God requires three parts of this vow of consecration. One, no razor shall come upon his head. Perhaps his long hair would be an outward visible sign of the consecration to the Lord. Number two, that he would not drink wine or strong drink. Proverbs 20 and 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And three, he would not touch anything dead. The reason not to touch anything dead is that this would cause him to be unclean. So Moses, uh, Samson had that 
Nazareth calling upon his life right from the time before he was born right up until his death that calling was on his life he didn't always obey what he was supposed to do but the calling remained there the calling was with him the purpose of Samson's calling was that he was to begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines Samson as one of the judges called to lead Israel has been honored as a man of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and 32. God gave Samson incredible physical strength in the times when he needed it. The first illustration is that he killed a roaring or an attacking lion with his bare hands. This instance took place when Samson was taking his parents to Timnath to meet a Philistine woman that he wanted to be his wife. In spite of his great physical strength, Samson's very serious weakness was his need for emotional companionship, which he sought out of the bounds of the nation of Israel, and he looked to the idolatrous idolatrous Philistines for female companionship. Small things might, very irrelevant and important things to us might seem that they, they, small things, or they might seem like big things, but God requires obedience. And, and he was asking for trouble by looking to the Philistines all the time. He was supposed to look for a wife amongst the nation of Israel, but he kept looking to the Philistines, and he caught to trouble the whole time because of this. The Philistines were not to be trusted. They were always wanting to defeat Samson. Later, he went back to this woman in Timnath, I presume to propose marriage and she did become his first wife because she pleased Samson well is what the Bible says at this time he saw the carcass of the lion and in its carcass was a swarm of bees and honey and I just want to say here that Samson was looking all the time to the Philistine woman he was looking all the time into the Philistines for companionship, for a relationship. We need to also be careful. It's a, a warning for us in that we need to also be careful where we cast our eyes, where we look around, what we look for. We need to stay within the confines of the church and the relationships with the people that God provides us. And God will provide. If we patient and we wait upon the Lord, He will provide. And He might not always give us exactly what we want. That's another thing because we get frustrated because We have a desire and we have a want and God is not supplying that. And we get frustrated, but so important and it's not easy. I'm not saying that it's easy. It's to wait upon the Lord and allow him to work his will in our lives. And then we will have the victory and then we will get what God wants us to have. It will also bless us in our living for him because if we go like like Samson did and go away from where God desires us to be, we're going to be frustrated all the time because because there will never be that victory in our lives. And they, outside of the confines of God's um, requirements for us, there's a lot of pressure. You can see the illustration of the Philistines here. There was a lot of pressure. They had, they had an ulterior motive. Their intention was to destroy Israel. And wherever they can and however they could, they went that way to try and destroy Israel. Even though Samson had all that power, even though he had all that strength, they weren't worried about that. They just kept needling and needling and needling and needling at Samson until they got their way in the end. Amen. At this time he saw the carcass of the lion and in its carcass was a swarm of bees and honey. 
At the wedding feast, Samson put forth a riddle to 30 of the Philistine wedding guests, which they had to answer within seven days of the feast. And the bargaining price was 30 sheets, which could possibly be a type of a wrap, I don't know, and 30 changes of garments. The riddle was, out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. In fact, there was no sense in this riddle because only Samson knew the answer. Naturally, the Philistines could not work out the riddle, so they pressed his wife to entice him to obtain the answer. And the scripture says, and I'm going to go a little bit dramatic here. And Samson's wife wept before him and said, Thou dost but hate me and lovest me not. Thou hast put forth a riddle unto the children of my people and hast not told me. And he said unto her, Behold, I have not told it to my father nor my mother, and shall I tell it thee? And she wept before him the seven days while their feast lasted. And it came to pass on the seventh day that he told her because she lay sore upon him. And immediately he told her, you know what she did? What did she do? She went straight to the Philistines and she told them what Samson had told her. And this account sets a pattern for Samson's life. These men of the city, they mocked him, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he went down to Ashkelon and slew 30 men. Another incident occurred after his father-in-law gave his wife to be the wife of another man. Samson caught 300 foxes, tied their tails together and placed a flaming torch between them. He then released the foxes into the Philistines' grain fields and destroyed their crops. This is not the end of Samson's exploits. There are many more which show God gave him extraordinary strength to overcome, and there was no match for him. And we can read the whole account of Samson in our own time. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and 13 it says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I love that scripture, and it's, it always kind of pulls me up when I read that. Our duty is to keep his commandments, amen, and fear God. Samson did not build a relationship with God and God's people, but instead he took to the enemy for his relationships, and his final downfall came about because of his love of the Philistine woman, Delilah. This time she pressed him for answers of his strength. Where does his strength come from? As we live for God, we build a relationship with God and the people of God, which is always an ongoing relationship. None of us can get ever get to a place when we can say or think, I have arrived. The building of the relationship continues and it should be daily until the time that we are caught away to meet God or until the time when we die, whichever comes first. The more we put into our relationship with God, the deeper and stronger that relationship will become. <coughs> we need to acknowledge with thanks how God has surrounded us with strong godly leadership and a family of friends to relate to and with. Um, 
I talk about when we have fellowship and we go out on a picnic or we have an activity or something like that. For me, it's a wonderful time. It's easy for me to relate when we have the females gathering together. It's so easy for me to relate to them because we don't have any anything to wade across. We're there because of Jesus. We're there because we love Jesus. Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the base. Jesus is the reason. We have that. All of us feel that same way. And when we gather together, it's not hard. There's no bridges that we have to cross. We just join up together and we feel the love and we feel the harmony and we feel the fellowship. And from those times, you come away strengthened. You come away encouraged. You come away feeling this is great. I'm looking forward to the next time we gather together and and that's fellowship that's when we have an outing or something like that that's fellowship but it strengthens us spiritually as well and we 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 get it we develop a relationship with each other we find out things about each other we can talk to each other and develop that relationship and that helps us also to stay close to God because we are the family of God and we share the same things amen Let us acknowledge with thanks how God has surrounded us. I've already said that with strong godly leadership and a family of friends to relate to and with. For us to let God have his way in our lives is that we submit to him and the plans he has for us, both individual and corporate. In a phrase or in a sentence, it doesn't sound hard that we need to, we need to submit to God. It doesn't sound too difficult. But the actual act of submission can be a struggle. And when we hold back, this can hinder our strong desires we have for a deeper and closer walk with God. One thing I know is that submission is not a one-off action, but it is ongoing. God is so good to us, and step by step, he can reveal to us more of ourselves that need to be submitted to him. We each have our own personal and intimate walk with God, And there are disciplines in our lives through which submission takes place regularly, such as church attendance, Bible reading, praying, being careful of our speech, our thoughts, etc. Submission to God means putting God's desires above our desires. The total example of submission we have is that of Abraham being obedient to God in giving up his son for sacrifice. I must say that if there are any here tonight, and you're probably all okay with this, but I I felt this when I was preparing this. If there's any of us struggling with the disciplines, the daily disciplines that we need to strengthen our walk with God, surrender that to God. Give it to God and ask God to help us. Ask God, I have struggles myself. I'm always calling on the mercy of God. Ask God to help us and strengthen us in those areas of our lives. And um, we don't need to be ashamed of that. We don't need to be ashamed of that, but we can face up to it and ask the Lord to help us and uh, help us to go into a deeper and closer walk with him. Um, when, when God gave leadership to Joshua, he said, Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he it is that goes with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. That's Deuteronomy 31 and 6. It's a wonderful, wonderful scripture, and it's very strengthening for us. Now, going back to Samson and Delilah, Samson's last love story was brought about which brought about his complete downfall, was with Delilah. 
Of course, she was a Philistine and she set out to entrap Samson. She continually coaxed him and played on his feelings into revealing the secret uh, of the source of his strength. Samson fell for her wiles and persuasions and eventually he told her that his strength was in his long hair, which we know was a consecration to God of the Nazarite vow. She wasted no time and immediately after he revealed this to her, she took advantage of his confidence and betrayed him to his enemies. Could we have the second slide, please? And while he was asleep, the Philistines came in and they cut his hair. When she declared that the Philistines were upon him, he got up as usual, expecting to use the strength God gave him to destroy them. But his strength had gone, all of it, and he was helpless before the Philistines. They put out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. Samson was absolutely ruined. Of course, we all know the end of the story, where the Philistines gathered together in celebration of their god Dagon, and they would exhibit Samson to show what they believed was the ability of their god to defeat the enemy. They also wanted to use Samson as entertainment and the place where they celebrated was packed out and the Bible states that there were about 3,000 men and women on the roof. So I don't know how that works, where they were on the roof. I don't know about down at the bottom, but the Bible says about 3,000 men and women on the roof. So there was a lot of people in that place. And all of this that I've spoken of is going to bring us to the point to illustrate as much as is humanly possible, just how wonderful God is. How many times did Samson veil God? Once? Twice? No. Many, many times. How many times was God there for Samson? God was always there for Samson. Even in his last hours, God was there for him. It was a matter of Samson submitting to God to, to receive what God had for him the strength that God would pour on him and the ability that God would give him in situations when it was needed. So when they called Samson to come out to make fun of him, he was to be set between two pillars, and Samson said to the lad who led him out, Suffer me that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean on them. Samson had lost everything. He lost his eyes. He lost his strength. He lost his hair. He was enslaved to the Philistines and he was grinding at their mill. But as we all know, during this time, his hair began to grow back again and Samson called upon God saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two hours. And Samson took hold of the two pillars upon which the house stood one with his right hand and one with his left hand. And with all his might, he pushed against the pillars and the house fell upon all those therein, including Samson, who died at the same time. The happy ending is that he was not forgotten by Israel and his brethren and all the house of his fathers came and took him to the burying place of his father Manoah. Samson had judged Israel for 20 years. Samson was a broken man, and in his brokenness he reached out to God, 
and God was there for him. At long last, Samson submitted to God. Now he, 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 he was right at the end. He was right at the very, very end. He had no eyes. He had no hair. He had nothing. And he submitted to God. Sometimes we get to breaking point ourselves before we submit to God. We don't have to wait until we get to breaking point to submit to God. And that's what happened with Samson. And thank God he was there. Thank God that, that God undertook for Samson. Thank God that God doesn't give up on us. God doesn't give up and walk away. In spite of all the years and years, Samson was 20 years. It was He was judging Israel and he had that strength and he had that power to do whatever God called him to do. But he never did that. Occasionally it came upon him, but he never ever submitted himself to God the way he should have done. Amen. And um, But right at the end, when he was completely broken and totally broken, he submitted to God. He, he called out to the Lord, and the Lord helped him at that very hour. But for ourselves, we don't have to get to that breaking point, as I've just said now. We don't have to get that far where we're at breaking point. We can go to God when we feel strong. We can go to God when we feel healthy and ask him to help us to submit ourselves to him and surrender ourselves to him. Amen. Not all all of our lives are radical like Samson's, but we can find it difficult when we attempt things in our own strength instead of surrendering. I don't know if you struggle with this, but I certainly do. I find myself before God time and time again for his mercy and to be changed. I think it is much harder not to surrender than it is to surrender. I believe through our brokenness, as example given by David, God can work in our lives and bring about the victory and healing that we need as long as we continue in him. Just like Pastor recently taught about the potter and the clay, God is continually working in our lives to become more like him. And it is a journey. We're not going to find ourselves in the house of God. And as I said earlier on, we can never come to the place where we think, well, I've arrived and I've accomplished it all. As long as we're alive, and it doesn't matter whether you're eight or five or six or ten or 50 or 60 or 70, God is still teaching us. God is still teaching us. Our walk is still with the Lord. We're never going to find it all out, amen, as long as we're on this earth. But God requires us to submit to him and surrender to him. If we're struggling with something that we find very hard to to accomplish or to deal with, surrender it to God and ask God to deal with it and to help us with that situation. Um, a parent here, any parent here knows that there can be difficult times when raising children. Children, no matter how sweet, beautiful, and clever they may be, they do have a will of their own, and the parents work on that will in the best interests of the child. Children need to be disciplined, and as we walk with God, <clears throat> we need to have discipline in our lives. I want to try. In the story of Samson, <coughs> God fixed things. When Samson was broken because he was so completely vulnerable and his only way out was God, um, God fixed it. God took the situation and he fixed it. I'm always thankful to God that he can fix things. As quoted by Brother Cameron last week, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken, a contrite heart, O oh God, thou wilt not despise. God always knows when things should be fixed 
and when they should be left unfixed. God called Moses up to Mount Sinai to give him the Ten Commandments and all the, all the commandments that God gave him, <clears throat> which God wrote on tablets of stone. When Moses went down from the mountain, the children of Israel were worshipping a golden calf, and Moses, in his outrage, he smashed the tablets of stone. This needed to be fixed. The children of Israel needed to know God's commandments. God instructed Moses to cut out two tablets of stone like the former tablets. Then he had to go back up the mountain and God instructed him to write out these commandments. These tablets of the covenant were placed inside the Ark of the Covenant, always in a safe place. God's commandments are needed to be known and not broken. Not only then, but for all of us today too, we need to know what God's commandments are and not break them. When Jesus was raised from the dead, the stone covering the grave was rolled away and left rolled away because this was evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. There was no need to fix the stone being put back, being out of place. Going back to the nation of Israel and judges, all the time there would have been once per year atonement rites carried out in the tabernacle. The high priest would go behind the curtain into the holiest of holies with the blood sacrifice for the sins of the people. Could we have the next, um, the last? The high priest would go behind the curtain into the holiest of holies with the blood sacrifice for the sins of the people. The curtain is referred to as a veil which makes me think of something light, transparent, easily torn, and gently blown by the wind. But the curtain in the tabernacle was nothing like that at all. It was very thick, it was heavy, it was woven from fine linen and embroidered ornately with purple, blue, and scarlet thread. Skilled craftsmen embroidered figures of cherubims on this curtain. It was held up with golden hooks, and supported by four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold. As I said before, it hung right down to the floor of the tabernacle, and only the high priest was permitted to go beyond this curtain before the Lord, which he did on behalf of all the people of Israel and their sins. But what was going to change? This was all going to change with the death of Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross, having been crucified for our sins, at the moment Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. It is not humanly possible for this veil to be torn at all, let alone from top to bottom. This can only have been done by God himself. There's no need ever to fix a broken veil. It will never ever be fixed. It was part of God's plan that that veil would be torn and that veil would be broken at the very time that Jesus Christ died, at the very time he gave up the ghost and he had, he had become our sacrifice, the sacrifice for our sins. That curtain was removed and we were able to have access to God going through that curtain. We no longer have to have Jesus Christ is our high priest. He became our high priest. We don't have to, um, stay behind the curtain, but because of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that 
he made. The, this, uh, the cleansing of our sins, the washing and the forgiveness of our sins. We are able to go behind that, that curtain which is no longer there and enter into the presence of the Almighty God. And what a great and wonderful thing that is for us. There is no formality. We can come before the Lord. We can come before the Lord when we're crying. We can come before the Lord when we're worshipping. We can come before the Lord when we're praying. We can come before the Lord when we have concerns and needs. We can come before the Lord when we're ill. We can come before the Lord when we are worried. There's nothing hindering us. That curtain is broken. That curtain is torn. Jesus Christ died for our sins. The blood of Jesus Christ washes away those sins. And we are free and at liberty to enter into the presence of the Lord. Jesus Christ is our high priest. It's all been done. We, it's all been done. We have that victory. God fixed it for us. God has fixed it for us. Amen. So I just want to say here in closing, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Allow God to work in our lives deeply and submit ourselves to him because that is the way if we hold back and we restrain ourselves, it's more difficult for God to work in our lives. And that's easier said than done because I know that we're humans, but that's the way God will work deep into our lives. Amen. Sister Cassandra, could you lead us with... A song, please. Should we stand up and sing a song and just give praise to the Lord tonight?